When you do what the buyer wants you to do, not what's right for you to do, it falls under no good deed goes unpunished. They own you and they'll ask for discounts until you're dead. Hi, my name's Kurt Mercadante, and I'm a husband, father, speaker, trainer, and disruptive entrepreneur whose mission is to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. And that's what this show is about. We're here to help you fight apathy and conformity in your life. We're here to interview and tell the stories of individuals around the world who are helping others live lives of freedom and fulfillment as well. This is the Freedom Club Podcast, and we're grateful you're here. And this is the Freedom Club Podcast, and I am your host, Kurt Mercadante. I'm so grateful and thankful you are here. I'm also especially grateful this week because this is the week my book launched on Amazon, fivepillarsofthefreedomlifestyle.com. If you go right now to fivepillarsoffreedom.com, guess what? You can sign up to receive chapter one of my book absolutely free, and I know you'll love what you read. I know you will then be enticed to head on over to Amazon and purchase the book. Thank you in advance for reading it. And thank you for all those who have already read the book and given me incredible feedback. It's very humbling. And you should be grateful that you're here today because my guest is a legend. He's a legend because he wrote best-selling book, Pitch Anything. When I was in the PR and ad world, it was required reading. It's still required reading for people in Silicon Valley. I'm talking about my guest today, Oren Kloff. He wrote that book. He's also managing director at Intersection Capital, and he's out with a new book called Flip the Script, getting people to think your idea is their idea. And if that reminds you of the Leonardo DiCaprio, Christopher Nolan movie, Inception, it should, because that's exactly what he calls it. Inception. We have a ton of fun in today's interview. There's a ton of value packed in here for you. So without further ado, here is my interview with Oren Claff. Awesome. Well, Oren, thanks so much for coming on the Freedom Club podcast. Hey, I appreciate that warm welcome. Well, you know, so your new book is called Flip the Script and your prior book, Pitch Anything, is kind of required reading uh, coming from the PR and ad agency world. I had read it several years ago. I went through and did a refresher, uh, read Flip the Script, and I I noticed some differences but some similarities between the two. Uh, Excellent books, by the way, just from a a storytelling perspective. I mean, one of the things I couldn't wait to ask you is like, this shit really happened. <laughs> you know, it's from like the, the, the Soviet bloc to the Czech Republic to the frozen tundra of, uh, what is it? Was it North Dakota? Um, you know, back to Rancho Santa Fe. So thank you for writing the book. The yeah, book. no, this stuff does happen. And I think uh, it's, although it feels unique in the book, especially the way I wrote it, because I, you know, if you look at John Grisham, right? I'm just reading now the Sycamore Grove, you know, and, and there's a, a guy dies and he leaves a will, uh, but then he handwrites a second will right before he actually dies. And now there's two wills and one's handwritten. And, you know, and, and these things happen all the time in the legal profession. And in the advisory business, you get clients. You know, we have a client right now who, you know, the big deals are global. They're not only in Silicon Valley and in New York. So, yes. When you're in advisory and in finance, you travel all over the world. You go to Switzerland, you go to Russia, you go to the Middle East, you go to Israel, you know, you go to Europe, you also go to Wisconsin. So absolutely, that stuff happens to everybody who's really in the deal business. So, I, you know, you've, uh, you mentioned all the places uh, that you go. And in the book, we mentioned some of the places you go. And you go for, in the book, just from the advertising world to 
motorcycle parts sales kind of to the stars, but then also in North Dakota. You go in all these different areas. And, and, and one question, it's the only set question I ever have on this program, is the word freedom. Yeah. What does it mean to you? So to me, oh, wow. I mean, for me, when you have these skills, you have freedom to live the life that makes you comfortable. And that answer is different for everybody. Mine might be pretty normal. I live by the beach. I love cars. So I have a bunch of cool cars. I love motorcycles. So I've owned a thousand motorcycles in the last 10 years. (laughs) Okay. I've got a little boy and uh, he's five years old. Spend lots of time with him. He plays hockey. I get to go to his hockey games, spend time with my wife and I'm a competitive athlete. And so that's for me, freedom. That's what I've been working for my whole life to get to this point. And here I am. So this is, and, and this is really my message. When you know how to pitch, when you know how to negotiate, influence, persuade, sell, you can get the resources you need to do the things you want. The resources, freedom to me, is the ability to get the resources you need, money, people, uh, uh, assets, to do the things that you want to do. And I, I love um, in, in the book, you talk about coming back from the Czech Republic after your adventure of being called over to save the account, right? And they're in the Czech Republic car factory and hiring the Czech actor. You know, it was, it was hilarious. And then you ended up making the pitch anyway. But on the way back after that adventure, your, they flew you coach back. They flew you first class, right? <laughs> yeah, London. They first, cla- coach back. first class out. You know, because I, I know at the Beverly Center in Beverly Hills, that there's an escalator a beautiful, smooth, you know, uh, uh, Italian manufactured ball bearings, like the world's best escalator takes you in. And once you're done shopping, you walk out. (laughs) And that's what it was like. But you, but you, you're looking home, you're looking forward to getting home, going to the hockey game for your son, spending time with your son. And all of a sudden the phone rings and there's another potential deal. And I didn't know where you were going to go with it. And you said, no, thanks. I'm going back home. Yeah. And as you, as you shared that definition of freedom, that really, that uh, really resonated there. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think the now I'm taking on the deals that I want to do. And, and that's why, you know, if we unpack it a bit, you know, my, my, the, one of the most effective people say, Hey, Warren, what's your best clothes? What's your best clothes? You're, you know, all salespeople read your book. What's your best? I go, Oh, my best clothes. That's well, it would, it would be, well, you know, my, huh, I don't have a clothes, right? Because I close in the beginning because it sounds like this. Hey, look, good to meet you guys here. Uh, we've been trying to get on each other's calendar. You're super busy. We're super busy. It's luck. I'm glad we found some time to get together. And uh, we're going to show you, give you everything you want today. Should give you a presentation on what I think you need based on our experience. And, and look, I don't know if we're lucky or if we're smart or what the story is, but at this point in our company, we're pretty busy as I know you are. And so we're just fortunate to be able to be choosing the customers that we want to work with. So of course, you need to evaluate us. You should be evaluating us. You should be asking us the tough questions, which we'll try and answer. But as much as you're evaluating us, we're evaluating you. Yeah, and that, and that goes to, I'm looking, I, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, that uh, the prize, right? It was yeah. it the, the prize frame. And, and going back and reviewing the first book, to me, and maybe you're like, no, you're totally screwy. This isn't it at all. The first book was about frames and kind of powering through their frame with your frame. And it seemed a little more brute force. Yeah. This one 
Well, you t- I mean, it's in, it's Inception. And if anyone hasn't yeah. seen the movie Inception, that's what it is, planting those ideas in their brain. This one seems uh, less brute force and, and more scientific. Yeah, for sure. So when I wrote Pitch Anything, I came out of the deal world, right? That is two opposing forces coming together in really what is a murder trial, right? You either get off or you go to jail. You know, you either get the deal or you don't. It's very, uh, so, so these are very high stakes environments, the deal world. You go in for financing that you need, you either get the financing or you don't. They go, you know, this looks really good. We really like it. Why don't you sharpen up your numbers a little bit? Come back in two weeks. We'll take another look. That statement was never said in the history of deal making, <laughs> right? It's, we take it to the committee. We're going to vote up or down gladiator style, right? And if it's up, you're in. And if it's down, you're out. We're deleting your name from our Rolodex. Not really, but you know what I mean. Uh, and so Pitch Anything was really about surviving in those super high stakes environments, right? Uh, flip the script is very useful, applicable, critical for somebody who lives in social environments where it's not uh, um, all stakes, right? So, so you go to, you're in a community, you're in a industry, you're in a company, how do you use the same or similar tactics? You know, right? The people want what they can't have. True. People chase that which moves away from them. True. People only value that which they pay for. So how can you take those principles and embed them into a pitch that isn't so uh, power-based and high stakes, right? And so there's refinement in flip the script over pitch anything. How can you go in there and make them feel like they're getting value? They are working with someone who knows what they're doing. They're working with a peer and they have total autonomy over the decision, whether to buy or participate or vote or invest, whatever it is that you're pitching, selling. So how can you give somebody total autonomy? Because I think, and I had this argument with the sales guy yesterday, like what's wrong with Sandler, you know, Sandler sales systems. If you go through it, you can't really pick on anything that's wrong in the process. The problem is the whole process is visible hmm. to the buyer. The buyer can see what you're doing. You're asking all these penetrating questions in order for you to have informational leverage over it. So how, you know, what do you think your budget is, right? On this call today, it's really important that we agree to make a decision. Hey, I'm not agreeing to anything. I don't know anything. So when the buyer can feel you trying to tie him down. He can see your attempts at persuasion. The attempts are clumsy. It's clear that it's a totally different thing than flip the script. Flip the script. It's like you're bumping into somebody in your industry, which happens to all of us. And it happens to me every day. And the guy goes, Oh, you do this. I do that. Hey, you know what? We should do a project together. Right. It feels like that. If when you use the flip the script methods, the buyer who you're the seller and he's a buyer goes, Oh my God, this guy is amazing. Why, why didn't we meet earlier? You know, we should do something together. Can you solve this problem for us? We'd be happy to pay you. Right. Like I have uh, are you, by the way, are you a car guy? Uh, I, I read some of your background, Kurt. And- not, not as much. I wish I was a car guy, but maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. You have some other things to worry about, you know, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm a car guy and it's sort of like flip the script is like two car guys meeting. Right. And I have an unfinished 1956 F100. Right. And so it's almost like I'm bumping to a guy who's just finished building one, 
Actually, I've never thought about this before. For some reason, there's something special in you that's, that's queued up this metaphor. But, <laughs> um, you know, I'm running around and um, I'm at a, you know, auto shop. Whatever, I bump into a guy. He goes, oh, you're buying a, uh, you know, 24 volt alternator that probably only fits the early 50s, you know, Fords. I'm like, yeah, I got to unfinish F100. He goes, yeah, I just finished one. Right. And then we start talking. He goes, ah, yeah, the real problem is you can't source this sheet metal. And when you try and put a 351 Cleveland in there, you need to do the, the brackets. We had to build our own. And, then, and I go, oh, is there any way that you would help me finish mine? He goes, you know, I could spend some time doing that. Right. I go, great. Come on to my shop Saturday. We don't talk about budget. We don't talk about due diligence. Right. Because he's a peer. It's absolutely clear to me he's an expert. There's no way you could talk about this stuff, you know, unless you're an expert. Um, we met in a trusted environment. You know, we're in a store that only people are passionate about this. So, so now you think about that environment, right? Uh, and then you think about the world that, that most salespeople have to live in. Hey, I'm calling the customer. You know, I'm going to their office. We're doing a Skype. We're doing a meeting, you know, in, for, your, for a PR world. And it's not that environment. But how do we create, recreate? I'm a peer I've solved your problems a thousand times before and might be willing to help you out do this. Money is not, you know, let's not sully ourselves, you know, by right. ankle biting around money because we're perfect for each other. Right. And it's clear we, um, because we come from the same world, we know the same people, we do the same things. We, we uh, live our lives the same way with the same values. Uh, working together is not going to be a problem. Money is not going to be a problem because we see the world in the same way. Uh, expertise is not a problem. I've done this a thousand times. You know, the question are one, do we like working together? Two, can we survive each other? You know, and three, do we do good work together? Let's find out by moving forward. Yeah. So it's it, very different oh, from Sandler, right? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, as you talk about that, about the, uh, you see the person as an expert, they're in that store. So that's a cue. Yeah. They know what you're talking about. And you, you tell the story about the valet. You know, it's not like the yeah. valet begged you to park right. your car. All they had to do was state some facts, throw out some figures, and you were like, oh, here's the keys. I trust you. What, yeah, and, and I think what Kurt's talking about here is what are the things that you could say to someone? What are the 50, 100, 150 words that you could say to someone that would signal to them that you are an insider in their industry, you have been through the problems that they are trying to solve right now, right? It's not a white paper. That's not going to do the job. It's not videos on your webpage. It's a very short uh, a combination of words, a signal. We're peers. We work. We have the same problems. And we might come from totally different religions, different cultures, different. Nobody cares anymore. And today, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have you have these, these uh, you know, Kashmiri rebels and the Palestinians, you know, like those very hot and bothered. Uh, but, but ultimately, uh, you know, in the business world where thousands or tens of thousands or millions of dollars, nobody cares, right, about that stuff, right? They, what they care about is, have you solved my kind of problem before and how easy is it? So, so really a sale is the the, the, the a buyer has to believe that he has a difficult problem to solve. Unless he believes his problem is hard to solve, then uh, he will continue to look for a free version or a cheaper version than what you provide. Mm -hmm. So that's a line in the sand. Unless he knows 
you know, and some things like repairing a 351 Cleveland engine, which nobody does, you know, you take that to Jiffy Lube and they're like, what? Get out of here. Right. <laughs> Matter of fact, I just restored a 1983 Toyota 4x4, right? <laughs> Complete restoration, stripped it down, paint, redid the carpet, everything, opened the door. It still smells like high school. But, um, <laughs> and, and so I take it up to Toyota because I'm having some problem with the carburetor, right? To like a Toyota dealership. And I drive it in there, I check it in. Their service manager comes out. He's like, hell no, we are not going to work on this. <laughs> the 1983 Toyota. I go, by law, you're Toyota. You have to work on it. He goes, son, we don't have to work on this. Like, get it out of here. Right? Yeah. So even Toyota won't work. Anyway, um, so, so <laughs> then I know I have a hard problem to solve. Okay. So until the buyer or the partner or the investor believes that you're solving, that they have a hard problem, you're solving a really hard problem, you can't. And, that, and that's what change, and we can talk about that, is, is meant to do. You know, when things are changing, problems become incrementally harder to solve. Okay. Uh, so, and I can give you an example of that. But once yeah. a buyer knows that things are, are hard to solve, um, then he needs to know that you've solved this kind of problem before many times pretty easily and that you can solve it for him. So what are the things that you can signal to someone that you really understand this problem that he's having at the Nat's eyebrow, right? Now, normally people in industry, right? The way they do this is they don't talk about weather and they don't talk about, um, you know, um, the, you know, Patriots getting, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Uh, uh, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown. Yeah. You no. Know, hey, do you see how the Antonio Brown trade? You know, he caught four passes and one touchdown over the weekend. Wow, that Miami weather really looks good post hurricane. Oh yeah, we know some people in the Bahamas. You know, uh, Texas is getting hotter. This right? They don't do that. They go, hey, were you at traffic and conversion this year? Yeah. Did you see Ryan? Yeah. You know, I think uh, the, the the lineup of speakers wasn't. They asked me to speak. You know, but the lineup of speakers this year, I just really didn't want to get into it. You know, it's and it's really expanded to seven days. That's just too long for me. Yeah. You know, I went to it three years ago. It was a three-day convention and they had, you know, George Bush spoke there. And, you know, he was, oh yeah, I was there. Remember when he concluded and he, you know, he did the Nixon. Oh, that was so funny. Like that's how they signal to themselves that they're industry insiders. And you don't have that many yeah. times when you're, you know, like in you, your PR and branding agency, I assume you guys were horizontal, right? Somebody come with toothpaste, somebody come with dog food, right. somebody come with rocket engines. And you're like, Hey, you know, uh, uh, kill them all. Let God sort them out. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. We did a lot in politics and, and that was the, okay, you know, uh, you know, the dogs kind of circling, like you say, you know, to, to, to who's got more mojo. Yeah. You know, and you, and yeah. you kind of sort that out uh, early on. And, you know, that's one thing that I noticed uh, specifically from the first book to flip the script is that, um, you know, you, 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 you describe that going in with, uh, Gosh, I can't remember their name, but with the genetic testing with the rabbi, yeah, yeah, um, yeah code, yeah, yeah, going in there and 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 you know you admit like the, the this guy is not even thirty years old, he's worth a billion dollars. They're sizing me up, and yet you went in there, you you had a smart ass humor, you know, you did those things, and in the first book you talk about the beta traps, everything yeah. from offering food and water. I had um, one of my very first jobs. I mean, uh, it might have been my first agency job, the CEO had this, uh, this little trick he did and everyone knew about it where he would sit you down to interview and he'd sit in this chair and he'd point you over to this couch and it looked like a normal size couch. But when you sat in it, 
I'm a short guy anyways. Like you yeah. sunk really low. Yeah. And then he'd start asking you really odd questions. And like in the end, once you get there, you find out like he doesn't care what the answer is. It was like, yeah. what's your, what's, what's your favorite book? Or he'd ask you like, what's your interpretation of the Bible? You know, but you'd be like three feet shorter than him. Uh, yeah. So when he talked about these beta traps, it's uh, <laughs> my, my thoughts immediately went to that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, and I, uh, I did a podcast a while ago, a friend of mine, uh, he does something a little bit peculiar. He'll invite an interviewee that is going to hire at a senior position and have him sit down and there'll be an empty water bottle, uh, you know, just lying on the floor. And he measures whether they pick it up. Right. Interesting. And for him, it means a lot, whether somebody will just sit down with trash, you know, on the conference room ground or they, you know, they pick it up and try and tie to their space for him. That's an indicator for me. You know, I don't know if that would be a, the world's biggest indicator, but yeah, uh, that's a trap, right? Or it's a test. It's sort of, you know, you, uh, other people call it a shit test or a beta trap, right? Or a, a trap door. Uh, you know, and it sort of comes from, if you think about like Monty Python or the old medieval movies, you know, you would come on and you talk to the king and he would say, you know, what's your favorite color, right? And you say, blue, no, red, oh, wrong. You know, trap door opens. And, <laughs> and, and so it's not, you know, it, it's not what your favorite color is. It's do you know? Yeah. That the beta traps are about. So the classic beta traps are, as I wrote in the book, you go in, uh, in, a, in a physical meeting, but, but today more often than not, it's a Skype call, you know, or a go to meeting or a zoom meeting like we're on. And it's a 10 o'clock meeting. Now it's 10 01. Now it's 10 04. Now it's 10 07. 10 07 in the morning is the beta trap that every salesperson has to live through several times a week. <laughs> what do they do? Do you wait? Because we know, hey, if you're sitting there at 10, 15, have waiting 15 minutes and they get on, they know that you basically need the account. It's needy. Yeah. You're trapped. They're going to own you. You sit on a call for 15 minutes. They come on and, they're, and you're still on that call. As trite as it sounds, they're going to own you. You're going to see that in discounting behavior at the end of the sale. <laughs> Even if they love you, want to do the deal, they know you, you, your values are malleable. You'll do what they want, not what's right. And I think that's the key. If there's one thing to take away from this is when you do what the buyer wants you to do, not what's right for you to do, it falls under no good deed goes unpunished. They own you and they'll ask for discounts until you're dead, right? Until you just roll over and you go, I'm not making any money. I can't do it. And they go, oh, that's a perfect price. We love that price. You don't make any money. So if your values are, we have high, you know, we make money on the stuff we sell. We do good work. We do the Lord's work. We, we uh, don't stop when we're tired. We stop when we're done. We won't do it for you, but we'll do it with you. I will not work harder on your company. Then you'll work on your own company. But for this problem you need solved, we'll get you what you need. And, and uh, will provide you certainty that the things you need to have happen, whether it's accounting or consulting or PR or advertising or Facebook or a ditch dug or a foundation laid or a roof done or a auto repair or a fleet of whatever it is, the things that you need done will do and will give you certainty that it'll happen. But we have to get, it has to be fair on both sides. Anyway, um, so 
Uh, yeah, so I think I went in three different do loops there, but you got me started. No, no, no. I think it's important not only for the sales process, but it starts with the sales process. But also, once you have them, you you know, clients are very Pavlovian, and I've always noticed like if you if you answer their calls and their emails at midnight, they're going to email you at midnight yeah. and call you at midnight. If you stop doing it, you know what happens? Nothing. They don't email you and call you at midnight anymore. You know, unless it's an emergency. Um, but yeah, sticking around, I had, we had someone this week who went through a series of calls, said yes, and then came back and said, I need a white paper on the project. And we sure. said, no, nope, we're not going to give you the white paper. Um, because we weren't going to create one for him. Uh, he had already been through the loop and it yeah. was at that point that, um, you know, it's like, I'm not, and it wasn't at a price point that I was willing to do any extra work. So, well, uh, we, we- we have a name for that you might like. We call it Fetch Me Another Rock. <laughs> hey, Kurt, I love, I love this. The proposal you sent me, it's terrific. Uh, you know, I uh, really appreciate it. Hey, could you uh, then just do a pro forma and a white paper? And then, you know, we're totally there. Okay, here's a pro forma white paper. Oh, we love the orange rock with blue stripes that you brought us. You know, and we're totally there. I just got to take it up to committee, uh, my CFO. If I could just get a blue rock with uh, green dots on it, that's all I need. Oh, the CFO loves it. Thanks. Really appreciate the green rock with, uh, with a, now I need a pink rock with black stripes on it. That's all I need. You know, we're taking it up to the CEO, fetch me another rock, Kurt. And it yeah. never stops. So, yeah. so I think the tactics are to say no. And I'm certainly an advocate of that. Right. But the strategy, as I show in uh, flip the script is to give the buyer a formula, as you read, give the buyer a formula in which they can win in solving their problem. Here's how you buy the kind of services that we offer, right? And I love this because it takes you out of saying, here's how you buy from me, which puts people on red alert. Here's how you win. Uh, so first of all, you know, the way that most people fail doing this is they believe that they have one, two, three, and four already in place. And then when the service, you know, when the agency comes in and they look, one, two, three, and usually four aren't there, right? And so that can be a huge problem, but, but you know that. Here's the things that nobody realizes until they're halfway through the engagement, right? Which always causes the budget to double, right? And so, so instead of, yeah. uh, so, so in this way, you're showing them the things that they need to do. And when you're framing yourself up as an expert, you're imparting your values, right? Because then, then if they, if they do things, so you show someone how to win in your business. So for my business, I'll give you an example. In my business advisory, you cannot ankle bite on the price. If you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Cause you'll fatigue. We're busy. Everybody's busy. These deals are big. They take a long time. And the price is like in our industry, it's not really negotiable. It's like a taxi cab. It's like getting into a taxi cab in New York or getting into an Uber and going, Hey, listen, I'll let you take me to San Diego airport, but I don't really know about this 32, 37, you know, that Uber quoted. Yeah. We do it for 25. And like, it's, so in our industry, it's not negotiable. That's what we teach people. If you start to negotiate on price and ankle bite, we're gone. Like you'll just yeah. hear dial tone. If that's such a thing anymore. Right. And, <laughs> and so now if they start to do that, you've already taught them and you could say, Hey, listen, I, this, as we talked about, this is the unsuccessful way. It's not us. Anybody in our industry, other than the absolute worst providers from Pakistan, sorry, Pakistan, 
good at other stuff, but uh, <laughs> you know, Fiverr, you're going to end up on Fiverr. Yeah. Okay. And if that's where you want to go, no problem. Right. I'll help you get there. Right. But, but um, the direction you're heading in is going to fatigue us very quickly. And so you can, by teaching someone how to, and, and if you know how to teach someone the buyer's formula, you can really have control through values. See, once you really understand what makes you mad and is the loser's formula, right? Yeah. I, I think if anybody started, I would say, what's the loser's formula for a client, right? In terms of getting the client, in terms of engaging them, in terms of pricing them, in terms of working with them, in terms of their behaviors, right? Find the loser's formula and then build your values around there and saying anything that looks like a loser's formula, I don't want to do. Right. And that will give you control. Yeah. And, and, and the, the common theme between the two is, is actually having control, no matter who it is, no matter if they're billion dollar, 30 year old people who may look down on a guy who looks like a rabbi, who's got what, $1.4 billion worth of contracts. Yes. And you know, with them, you, you went in, you already did the Dodd-Frank whatever, 325 or whatever stress yeah. test and, and, and all that. And you took away, they went from having their pens and ready to take notes to putting them down and, and actually being intrigued what you were talking about because you led them along. You took the power and took away some of the, what you knew they were going to ask or what you knew they were going to analyze or what you knew they were going to uh, dig into anyways. Yeah. Well, I think ultimately when you are an expert and they know you are, and you have solved their problem before, and you have a clear path to success, then you have total control. Now, you can't control them, but you can control yourself. When you start to take yourself away from someone, again, people want what they can't have. They chase that which moves away from them, and they value that which they pay for. So if it's absolute clear, Kurt, that I can get my problem solved through you and you start to back away, you have control. You can't, in today's world, buyers are different. You can't control them in the way that you could in the past, right? They have to believe they have autonomy to make their own decision. And that's yeah. really, you know, uh, and, and so autonomy is huge. How do you give a buyer autonomy to make his own decision, but still uh, have a very narrow, uh, but still control them, right? And that's really the, the secret. How to make the buyer feel like he's controlling the process, but ultimately you're in control. That's a fine line to walk, but there are millions of dollars for anyone, uh, millions of dollars coming to anyone who knows how to do that. And I think the steps, you know, as you saw to doing that are in flip the script. Yeah. The, the, so for inception, you talk about status tip off, which we've talked about a bit, um, flash roll, pre-wired ideas, plain vanilla, being compelling, and then the buyer's formula, uh, which we've talked about. Um, the, the flash roll, you give the example of my cousin Vinny, where yeah. she goes and she goes through. And, and I actually, when you, when you talked about it several times throughout the book, whether it's, I can't remember his name, I call him the rabbi. Uh, his yeah, flash yeah. roll, yeah. Uh, Lucas, in, in the car, you know, his flash roll. Um, uh, I can't remember if you used the flash, if you did it or if uh, Anton did it with, uh, with what's his name, the sniper. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I also, I, also, I thought I, I immediately thought of uh, old school in the debate scene where uh, Will Smith goes into a trance and then just rolls off and destroys James Carville. With, oh, like, I, I have to look at that. Let me remind myself <laughs> to yeah to re- to refresh that. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> good example as well. Yeah, he uh, he went through there, but that that flash roll where in the span of yeah. well, you have a limit on it, right? It's got to be forty seconds or less or something like that. That you just overwhelm them with with knowledge that is indisputable that shows that and, and i guess it goes it goes a little bit back to status right it goes back to position and use the expert yeah if you overwhelm people with your capability then your status as an expert is solidified if they won't follow an expert you your advice they'll be an impossible client forever right think about it you go to your mechanic you go to your mechanic and there's probably, what car did you drive? Uh, Mini Cooper. Mini Cooper. Okay. And was it like 2016, 15? Uh, 17 or 17. 18. Okay. It's 18. 17 yeah. Mini Cooper. Yeah. You know, British cars, you know, distinguished by the fine trail of British car parts they leave behind them. Well, they're right? basically German now. They're BMWs. <laughs> they're BMWs. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, it, it's making a noise, right? And you take it into the mechanic, right? And he says, Kurt, listen. Uh, there was a fire in the, uh, in the Stuttgart factory, and these were actually made in uh, Frankfurt uh, for three months, you know, in the other factory where they really make the three series. So they're kind of not really original minis. And what happened is they ended up using the 24750C fan belt. The 24750C is not really the correct. That's for a BMW M3, and it's just a couple millimeters off. But you can see it's starting to wobble the throwout bearings here. There's a little bit of oil here. That's going to be a $7,000 problem in another 500 miles. We actually keep the 17405, which is the correct fan belt on this. We've done about 500 of these because this problem is so common. Leave it here. It's 500 bucks. Come back and pick it up in the morning. We'll have it ready for you. Yeah. So the mechanic says that, right? And there's two Kurtz that can then show up at that moment. You know, here's my card. I'll be back tomorrow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. You got it, which is the correct answer. But then the evil Kurt shows up and he goes, well, can you write that up for me? Right. Um, and I, you know, I just want to fax that over to my mini dealership and see if they agree with that. Right. The mechanic has to look at you and go, Oh my God, this <laughs> This guy has all, he's, he's, he's a PR, you know, he runs a PR agency, knows nothing about cars. I've done 500 of these. And meanwhile, he wants me to perform all this extra work to show him that I'm an expert. I'm not going to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and what would he say to you? He'd say, Hey, look, uh, there's another three people in line, take your car and shove it up your, <laughs> right. your parking lot. Right. So, so it's the same thing. Once you are established, you have a commanding expertise in that problem. Then how they behave is an absolute clear signal of a, whether you can actually convert them, no matter how much time you spend into a client, once they are converted client, are they going to pay? If they do pay, are they going to charge back? If they don't charge back and they do pay, are they going to be, you know, tenable to work with? If they are tenable to work with, um, it, you know, is it going to be a high margin account? And, and those are the signals right there. So that's why status and expertise are absolutely critical to lay down, not at the end, but at the beginning. And, and if, you, and it, if you don't have yeah. status, you can't move into, the, into a sale. You can't move into features and benefits and timelines um, and ROI and value proposition, you know, and team and contracts and all that stuff, unless you have high status or at least peer status.
And at what point, I mean, you, you talked about the, 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 the mechanic, you're basically saying, take the car and shove it up your ass. At what point do you, you know, do you- Well, I said parking lot, shove it up. Or your- you said parking lot. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm a foul mouth. I have a foul mouth. Um, do you back off? You know, you, you position yourself and the person just says, you know, do you just say, all right, this thing's not going anywhere? I'm going to teach you a great, you know, the, the book is full of strategies, you know, but I like these, these talks because we can talk about tactics. Here's a great uh, tactic that is very powerful. The words are just magical, right? If I ask someone, when we get to this kind of sticking point, what should we be doing together? Hmm. What should try it? What should we be doing together? Yeah. Right. It is causes them to stop and have to think and really sort of wiggles into a part of their brain that's, that's not currently engaged. And they will actually, because it's not a question they hear all the time and have a prepared answer, they'll come out with the solution that they think is right. And if that solution is so far from reality, the, that, that will really flush them out of the bushes of yeah. what their intent really is. Because that's ultimately what the sales process uh, is to establish you as an expert, to establish your uh, expertise, to establish some pricing. And then based on that, you know, some pricing parameters to flush out their intent. Do they have the budget? Can they go forward? Can they go forward with you? And what should we be doing together? And used at the right time can really flush out their intent. Yeah. And like you said earlier, well, it's the whole piece of the book, right? The foundation of the book is you're retaining power by giving them some ownership and autonomy or the feeling of ownership and autonomy. So it feels more like a collaboration rather than me hitting them over the head. Yeah. So in the old sales model, you know, hey, Mr. Jones, if I could get it to you in red and we could deliver it by the end of the week uh, and I could give you a 5% discount, could we sign it up today? Right. Uh, if you ask that today, the buyers will say, that sounds good. Right. You'll write it up, send up the contract. They'll say yes. Then they'll put a pin in it and then they'll start calling everybody else in the industry yeah. and going, hey, I've got it for $50,000 in red. They can deliver it to me in two weeks. Can you beat that? That's the problem today because uh, in, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s, when somebody said yes, the friction or the effort to go and find another uh, supplier was so long that it wasn't worth the time for them, right? Or that it would call their bluff, but they can do that in an afternoon today, yeah. you know, Skype, Zoom, internet, Google search. And, and so as a matter of fact, in the industry we're in, banks are very hesitant to give a firm quote, right? Hey, you can have $10 million of debt at, you know, four and a half percent, plus LIBOR uh, with, you know, over this period, so much interest only, uh, so much uh, uh, amortizing, okay? And, and they don't want to write it up and give you a firm quote until they really believe if they issue that quote, you're going to take it. Because in, in that industry, you get the quote and you go, hey, thanks a lot. And then you call up seven other banks and go, I have this, can you beat it? Yeah. There's nothing worse than being the first to the table with the hard quote. And, and Flip the Script is really designed to prevent you to A, convert people better than you have been, but B, uh, to, to prevent that from happening to you. Where you give a firm quote and then they go. Uh, so, so what comes to mind to me, 
and because I, I know you've seen it as Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, we just watched it. Yeah, two weeks ago with the oh, kids. Oh, great. Yeah, the we watched scene. all of them. We let we introduced the kids to them, and uh, so now that they, they, they're singing it all day, yeah, it's awesome. How how old are your kids? Uh, we got uh, youngest is five, eight, eleven, and thirteen. Oh, that's awesome! I have a oh, five year old. Yeah. Just one. He's five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a hockey player. He's a nice. he's a monster. Yeah. He's playing up against six and seven, eight year olds. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So hockey we, big out in California, Southern California. It is. It's huge. Yeah. We have the Ducks, the Anaheim Ducks. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're we're in we're in San Diego, North County, San Diego. I mean, there's four ice hockey rinks in driving distance to us, and probably ten. You know, if we spend a little time and energy getting there, so ice really? hockey. It's huge in Southern California. It's very competitive. There's, you know, three. Yeah, at the at the five year old level, the mites. There's three. There's three uh, grades. There's an A team, a B team, and a C team for five year olds. We're wow. determining right now if we want our five year old to be a six. You know, a, a good hockey player. It's crazy. My godson went through it. We're originally from Chicago, and my godson went through it. Played uh, junior IHL. Went through the whole thing and. Um, it was crazy, but I always, you know, we moved down here to Charleston. We have minor league hockey and we go and there's not that many people there and it's not as big. And it's funny watching like the Tampa Bay lightning, you know, they're trying to get hockey to take hold in Florida Yeah, during the playoffs, like Tampa played the Blackhawks and it's like all these season ticket holder lightning fans all of a sudden go to the games down in Tampa and they all have Blackhawks jerseys. On. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, uh, and minor league hockey is great. That's a fun sport. But, uh, so uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And let me, I think we're, uh, we're circling up on time here, but I, w- I would leave, sort of leave it with this idea. Uh, for anybody who's seen the movie, the last scene in the movie, and I don't think we're spoiling the movie. It's like 35 years old. <laughs> right. If you haven't seen it, too bad. So they find the Ark of the Covenant, the Lost Ark, the Golden Chalice. It has powers that have the ability to save humanity from destroying itself and, and, and solve the greatest inequities of mankind. Illness, starvation, disease, uh, war, religious conflict. And so the U.S. government gets its hands on the Golden Chalice, the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in a crate. And they put the crate on a forklift. And the forklift is driving into a warehouse where there's there's a hundred thousand other exact same looking crates, and they put it up for in storage, right? And don't use it. This is the same thing. You issue to your customer the golden chalice, the the document that will solve all of their problems. Give them Facebook advertising, help them grow their business, get them the right messaging, put the roof on their house, you know, give them the tax advisory services they need, whatever it is. This document will help them solve all of their problems. And they take it and they put it on a shelf and they start looking for something better. We cannot have that happen. That is unfair to you. Not because you didn't get the money. It's because of how much time and effort and energy you spent with them that could have been with your family, that could have been, you know, doing, trying to re- achieve your own goals. What if you, right? Uh, and so that is, that is unfair for you to spend time and energy and try and help somebody solve the problems and actually solve a little bit of it, show them how to uh, um, solve their own problems and invest in them and get nothing in return with investment. That's unfair to you. So we never want that to happen again. So one, one final thing that I want to ask you here is, uh, so uh, motorcycles. Yeah. So you come up, was his name Elias? Yeah, Elias. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you, you befriend him. 
you're in the motorcycles, you're, you're hanging out with celebrities, right? And you're doing all this thing. You go into business with them and you decide, okay, we got to expand. So you expand to North Dakota, Southern California, and you go up there. It's the frozen tundra. They take you to the Walmart. They do this and, and you're listening to all the calls. And you can't put your finger on any one thing that's like bad with the calls. Yeah. And I had flashbacks. One of my first jobs, I, I did uh, fundraising for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. And we had to bring in temp workers to work the phones to call cold call business people to say, you've been accused of having a big heart. and You've been sentenced to serve an hour at Jimmy John's in Johnstown. Oh, that's great. Yeah. To come in, you got to sit back. And, and then they go there for the hour and then they call their friends and whatever. But these, these temp workers, like you'd be listening and it was the same thing. It's like, well, there's nothing wrong with what he or she did. Like what the hell's wrong? So you go through it. But the, the thing that you figured out was that they were trying to be Elias, yeah. not being himself, Joe or Jane and whoever they were. And I get a lot of questions because I do a lot of branding work with yeah. corporations, but also individuals, personal branding, or, and actually salespeople. And they ask me, well, what, 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 like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm on a sales team. I'm part of a, I'm selling widgets for Corporation X. Yeah. Why is it important to have a personal brand? I think what you said is important because if you don't know who you are, you don't know what your style is, you're not actually authentically you, then that has an impact on your sale, whether you're selling yourself or widget X, correct? So here's the issue. You haven't figured out your own personal brand. Then what you're doing, and we've all done it, is being reactive to the buyer's emotional needs. Okay. When, when he needs you to be the nice guy, you're the nice guy. When he needs you to be, um, uh, let's see, when, when he needs you to, when he has lots of questions or objections, right? Then you become the information booth on the information highway, right? When he needs, needs time, then you become the sickly sweet angel. So, well, you know, um, I know you need some more time, but what if we look at this way? And you become the ultra nice guy. Right, and you are feeding his emotional state, and change, and therefore, is that bad? Not necessarily. But what's bad about it is you are changing yourself to meet his needs, and eventually, he learn who are you? Right, you don't have a personality, you don't have a charisma, you don't have a moral center that makes any sense, and ultimately, the sale just becomes about price and features when there's no you there. So if, when you have the ability to be yourself from the first part of the call to the last part of the call, instead of kowtowing and bowing to his needs. So when he says, listen, uh, I like this, you know, and I take, uh, you know, the product, but really if I could get a 30% discount, right? And, and you guys don't offer discounts. Most people that I encounter, salespeople would say, well, you know, that's a really good perspective. You know, I understand the need, you know, for lower pricing. I want to tell you a little bit about, instead of just saying, no, that's not how it works here. Listen, yeah. in order to buy from us, I'm t- now I'm being straight with you. You have to take money out of your account and you have to put it in our account. That's how we work. Okay. If you want to wait to the end of the year, when we have two or three leftovers that have been damaged in the warehouse. I'll give you a call. You can get it for like maybe 15% off, a damaged one that probably doesn't fit. But if you want the one that you need, 
that works perfectly, that has me behind it saying, we're going to get it to you on time. It's going to fit. And if you have any problems, call us. We'll take care of it. You want that one? It's $422,000. Yeah. And that's yourself. Would you call it the five personalities of the sales yeah. apocalypse when you try to be otherwise the Sybil? You know? I think when you yeah, Sybil, when you read those personalities, you'll go, that's what I'm doing. I'm being these five personalities in every sale. And the buyer doesn't know who I am or what my moral center is. And therefore he doesn't really like me. Now you may have, you may both like Florida state quarterbacks. You may both like fly fishing. You might both like, you know, building your own custom boomerangs and you know, whatever, like these incredible coincidences that does not mean he will like you. All right. Because you both hike in the uh, Adirondacks in February every year from the 14th to the 17th and probably passed each other on the trail. That is a correlation, but it doesn't drive to a sale. The reason I like you is because you have values that can't be changed. You are one person and he can see all of you. That is why somebody will like you and buy from you. So I'll leave you with that. Well, I love it. I love it. Everyone go pick up the book, flip the script. And if you haven't read it, if you're one of the few people alive who haven't read pitch anything, go pick that one up yeah. as well. I think, I think there's, while one is a, a continuation of the other and there are some different things or some great, just in both the neuroscience. And I don't know if you really had like neuroscientists on your payroll, as you said, or if you consulted Absolutely. them or what, but really. And I have a whole, you know, we'll do another podcast. I'll tell you the whole neuroscience story on the next one. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Oren, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Hey, Kurt, when you come to Southern California, please stop by here and we'll look through the cars and see if there's anything to interest you and we'll take it out. Absolutely. It's a deal. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you.